getting things right in some areas, it, it matters. It matters the first time. Like, you've got to get some things right in that moment. Marriages, raising kids, purchasing a car, right? Yeah, I mean, you can purchase a car more than once. If you do it wrong the first time, you will do it more than once. And most of me and Tia's marriage, we, we have lived on pocket change and we have loved it and it's been great. Uh, but buying a car was difficult many times. And we would drive a car until the one we were driving was completely unfixable. And then we would get a new one. And I posted on Facebook about we needed to buy a new car. And one of my friends said, oh, my mom's got one for sale. It's a great car. She only wants $36,000 for it. And I'm like, dude, my price range is the taxes on that car, not the price of the car. And so, you know, we find ways to make it happen and had a friend who was a dealer and he said, oh, you can go to the auction with me and buy a car. And I'm like, okay, that, that's fine. He's like, but I'm going to be busy. So you've got to be able to do it on your own. I'm like, okay, I don't really know enough about cars to do that. So I, I, I look around and find out, okay, I can get a subscription to Carfax, which for those of you guys who don't know, Carfax, you can get like the history report on a car. And I have the list of all the VIN numbers, the kind of ID numbers for the cars, the, the things. So I'm running them all through Carfax, like 150 plus VIN numbers. Carfax shut me down because they're like, you have to be a dealer that you're running this many. I'm like, no, I'm just obsessive about making sure I get the right car for my family. Because you know if you've ever been car shopping, you'll look at the outside of a car and it's shiny and pretty and you'll try to talk yourself into it. Like, I don't know anything about this engine, but it looks so pretty, it's going to run forever. And it's like your, your knowledge of the car is low, but your trust is like, this is going to be a great car. This is going to be great. But then I look in my notes and say, okay, I have the VIN number report on this. Oh, this one was in a flood. So the electronics on it are probably all fried. Oh, this one looks amazing. But the transmission got worked on eight times in the last year. And now it's here at the auction for sale. That engine's probably not going to last. And, and it's one of those things that knowledge kind of drives our trust. Like the more you know about the car, the higher your trust is going to be. And if you can't just turn a car on, listen to the sound of it, and know that that engine is okay by the sound of it, then you need more information. And we've all seen things happen in the lives of people that we love that they get into a relationship and we're like, you do not have enough knowledge of that person to assign them the level of trust that you're giving them right now. It's, it's out of balance. And if you didn't See the message last week, I encourage you to go back and watch this one because it's, it's a very important foundation to all the other levels. Because with Dr. John Van Epp, who created this model to help us gauge our relational health with each other, and this is based on biblical principles, he, he shows that knowledge is really the foundation and he defines a safe and healthy relationship as one that all of the dials to the left, to, to, the, to the right of this, they should always be lower than the one to the left. And when you have a relationship with someone where one of these levels are higher than the ones on the left, you're getting yourself out of balance and you're getting yourself into a situation where it's easy to get hurt. And, and we know this, when we see someone who the touch level is all the way up, the commitment level is up all the way up and the knowledge is all the way down, it's like, I'm gonna trust you with my body, but my, not my bank account. We're like, okay, that relationship is heading towards the danger zone. And, and we understand. And so last week we talked about knowing and how to grow in our knowledge of each other. We talked about the three T's about talking togetherness and time. And so you want to go back and see that if you didn't get to see that. And today we're talking about trust. And trust, the way that healthy trust grows is by knowledge. 
And this is true in our relationship with people. This is true in our relationship with God. Getting to know God is going to drive your trust up. And it's not just the mental knowing that, knowing theoretically I could trust him. This is talking about the trust that puts your feet into action. Like, like trust, I can take a step of faith because I know him so well. It's easy to trust him to take a big leap of faith because I know he'll always catch me. Like that's the type of trust. Trust that leads to action is what we're talking about today. And our trust picture for God is gonna guide the way that we take steps. Our trust picture for other people that we love that are important relationships in our life, it's gonna guide how we relate with them. I wanna define that concept, that trust picture this way. The, the image I create in my head about another person is my trust picture. The image I create in my head, because you might have a trust picture of someone that is completely inaccurate. You might look at someone and, and I'll put it this way. You might not trust them at all because they told you the relationship you're in is destructive. And though they've raised you for 19 years and loved you, and stood by you, you're not hearing what they have to say. Your trust picture is off. The trust picture can also be off. You know, this person that I've only known for about a week, like I, I really believe them. They, they, they tell me they made a million dollars. And if I just invest a hundred thousand of my dollars into their fund, that's untraceable. Like the trust picture is off. There, there's lots of different ways to get it. And so what I first want to start is, you know, our knowledge has to drive our picture of trust. And so what we know about someone, what we know about God is gonna then determine how we trust him in a healthy way. And then our actions, when we get into crisis, the times where we have to step out in faith, if we know God deeply, it's gonna enable us to take steps of trust that leave other people confused. The passage we're going to be looking at today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 24 through 33. It's Matthew 14, verses 24 through 33. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and we'll project these up on the screen. It's a familiar passage. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. As we start off in the passage, we see that the disciples, they were far away from land and a storm had risen up that shook the experienced sailors. It was enough to scare them. And in our minds, as we try to kind of put ourselves into the shoes of these disciples, I think that first of all, at least one of the places that I miss as I try to imagine this, I immediately put my feet in the bottom of like a Boston whaler. 
Like a boat that has been crafted in this day and age, like you cut the boat in half, it will still float like it's a good boat. You've got to think handmade boat. You've got to think a boat that is being tossed by the waves and with each wave that strikes it, you can feel the boards of the boat moving beneath your feet. Three o'clock in the morning, probably not seasick. These are experienced sailors, but scared enough that they're getting pretty shook up. And at least one of them, they're far from land, so they don't really see escape. And as they're looking off, I don't know if I would want to be the guy who first saw Jesus walking on the water, because how do you begin to try to verbalize that to everyone else on the boat? Like, and I guess the text kind of clues us in that they just, they screamed. Like that was their response to seeing Jesus coming out to them on the water. And, and it's interesting because Jesus is a familiar face. A couple of different times in scripture, they saw him and they didn't recognize him. But it's interesting in the midst of a stressful situation, often you can get confused friend versus someone that you should be fearful of. When stress is high, It's easy to miss a familiar face and someone that you can trust, someone who would be a source of security and see them as a possible threat. And as you dial back through your experiences, you can probably rewind to a time where a trusted voice said something and you didn't want to hear it and you ascribed to them because of the circumstances you were walking through that you must hate me right now that you would speak that. And it's easy to recall that through your memory, but to the younger people in the room, I bring that memory up that is in many of our heads that have lived a couple decades to give you the foresight to say that when someone in your life, you, you know them and they know you and you know that they love you. When they speak something that is hard to hear, you've got to remember, I know them, therefore I can trust them. And right now it, it might seem like I should be afraid of their wisdom because it's moving me away from what I think I want. But when you really know someone, you can really trust them. And so when they saw this person walking out on the water, at least Peter eventually from the sound of his voice recognized this really is Jesus. Jesus, if this is you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to get out of the boat. And as you hear that, part of your logic should kick in and say, Peter, why in the world would you want to get out of the boat in the middle of a violent storm? Because that doesn't seem very logical, but I want to, there's plenty of times where Peter was completely illogical that we see in scripture where he did dumb things, where he made stupid mistakes. But I want to tell you, he might've actually had the most logical train of thought here because I'm sure that Peter had sunk a couple boats in his career, but I'm sure that he'd never seen Jesus fail, right? I mean, when it came to what he had seen and experienced, he's probably seen a few boats go down to the bottom. But in his time of walking with Jesus, he understood that Jesus always held it together. And even in the midst of this storm that was terrifying them, Jesus is out for a stroll. And if I have to choose between getting tossed around in this boat or taking a stroll on the waves with Jesus, I'm going out there with him. And I love the, the details that are included in this because in verse 29, when Jesus says, yes, come, he said, so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water. It doesn't give great description to what it was like when his foot touched the water, but it includes just the, those few words of over the side of the boat. Because I'm sure 12 out of 12 of the disciples knew Jesus well enough to say it would be safer to be with Jesus right now. But only one out of the 12 felt the action, the trust that like, 
If I actually move towards him, like I will be better off on the waves with Jesus than in the boat with everyone else. That over the side of the boat moment where knowledge meets action, where faith takes steps forward. And I know that there's so many things that you know about your heavenly father. I know there's so much that you understand about his, his power It's difficult to put into words, but you get that he's there. You get that he's good. But when it comes to the relationships that you're in, the way that you're managing your life, you might still be living your lifestyle in a way that feels like I'm in the boat doing things that everyone else does, even though I know this is not the safest way. This is not the Jesus way to do it. And it would be my guess that many of us need to have that over the side of the boat moment where we say, I'm going to begin to take steps of action in my faith where my trust for God needs to be on display because he is good. He is faithful. He always fulfills his promises. He never lies. And I know this, but for some reason, my faith life has been living in a trust area that is almost at zero. And it's important to get this right because the way that we relate to God is going to in turn change the way we relate to people. So before we get to your relationships, your friendships, that area of living and application of scripture, we first have to apply it to God because if we're not going to walk in actual steps of faith and trust of God and that level doesn't get where it needs to, it's not, we're not going to be able to be the husband, be the wife, be the friend, be the coworker, be the neighbor that we're supposed to be. We've got to get this right with God first. And then we begin to apply it to the other relationships that are in our life to make sure that they're healthy. So I just, just for a moment in the middle of this, I, I want you to allow God the freedom to speak to your heart. And I want you to ask him like, is there a step that I need to take that I have been putting off taking? Is there an area that I haven't been listening to you in? Because in my head, I know, and I'm beginning to understand that I can trust. I'm understanding that my trust level of you needs to rise up in the areas of action and the way that I live my life. And so Peter, he actually, I think, kind of gets it right, says the safest place is with Jesus and this is such a beautiful thing because th- this is just not how we write records of ourselves. Like we might include in a record of ourselves that I was the one who jumped out of the boat or, be, you know, someone's writing it down. Make sure you put down that I jumped out of the boat and walked with Jesus. It wasn't just making Peter look good, but it's the whole truth of the situation. He got out there and maybe you can identify th- with this. He got out there, he was doing it right. And then he began to sink. I mean, this is just the reality of living out life and faith. It's like, I'm going after it. I'm doing what I should. I'm, I'm, I'm living for God, but oh my goodness, that wave is pretty tall. The wind is pretty strong. And he began to move his eyes off of the author and finisher of his faith. The one who, who can move his power through him to do anything. He began to move his focus off of him and onto his circumstances. And when we think that we need to be worried about the circumstances in order to do what God has called us to do, that is when we're going to begin to sink. When our eyes stay on him, when our eyes stay on the calling that he's given us, he's going to handle the circumstances. He was already handling them. 
He was already showing that he's good enough, that he's powerful enough, that he's going he's gonna to enable Peter to do what he's called to do. But Peter begins to shift his focus and he begins to sink. And I love this heart of God. That as Peter sinks, Jesus doesn't just go, oh, ye of little faith, you should have held it together and watch the bubbles get deeper and deeper. That's not how God was with Peter and that's not how God will be with you. If you get started, if you take a risk, if you walk in faith and you stumble, the heart of God has always been, in your stumbling, I will reach out and catch you and bring you back up. So if you have allowed the fear of, well, what if I don't just get it right when I get started? If you've allowed that fear to hold you back, I want you to know God won't be surprised if you stumbled. In fact, he'll be ready to catch you. How helpful is it that the examples that we have of the, the apostles and the other people in scripture include their failings so that we do not have an excuse to just sit on the side and not try. And so as Peter and Jesus make their way back to the boat, when they get onto the boat, it says that the wind and the waves were stilled. The storm calmed. And then 12 out of the 12 disciples worshiped Christ. They all celebrated how good he was. I don't know, how, how many of you, we're, we're Florida, so I imagine we'll have a decent amount. How many of us have ever been on a boat when it was a little bit more wavy than what we would have liked? All right, that, that, that's good. So we have a good understanding of what it feels like to be seasick, uh, of what it feels like to be in a situation where it's like, I just want to get out of this. And that, that, that feeling isn't limited to just boats. We all have been in times where it's like, I just can't wait to get out of this time. I just can't wait to get out of this stress. I can't wait to get out of this fear in this, this worry, and then we get to the end of it. And what scripture teaches us is that if we will allow him, God will take any of those things that were meant to destroy us and he will use them for our good and for the good of others. That, that God will take any situation and he will turn it around of something that felt difficult and felt painful and he will use it for victory. A time where the disciples felt terrified and scared. And then when he stills the storm, it's used as an opportunity to, to worship and God will use these, but it doesn't take away from the fact that what they went through was difficult. And so I, I want to give credence to the fact, I want to I give you license to say what you're going through might be hard, but I want you to have the foresight to understand in the middle of your fight, in the middle of your battle, that God is going to bring you to a place where you celebrate his goodness through what you walked in. And so in the middle of your storm, you can go ahead and already have the knowledge to say, and the, the trust to worship in the middle of the storm, not just at the end of it, that God, your goodness will be on display. God, you will show that you are loving, that you never fail, that you always have a plan, even when things don't feel comfortable, even when I am faithless and I don't see how I will get out of this storm, God, you will be faithful. And we can have the knowledge to, to worship with trust that God's going to be good. And, and I want to I want to give you three, three things to help build trust because we understand, okay, we should trust God, but we also have to look, okay, with the relationships that we have around us, how, how does trust play out? Well, first, we have to appropriately get to know the person because we're not going to ascribe a level of trust that is undue based on knowing them. We have to get to know, and as that goes up, 
many of us are in the circumstances saying, okay, how do I build up trust with my spouse? How do I build up trust with my kids? What, what are some things that I can practically do to honor God in the way that we do that? Because we shouldn't just ask for blind trust. We have to, through knowledge, continue to, continue to grow it. And so the first one is easy and simple, but you have to say what you mean and mean what you say. We have to be careful with our words. We often say things that we don't mean because we're angry. We often say things that we don't mean because we want to appease someone. And those are things that will undercut your trust with that person. And if you're in a relationship, if you're a parent, I want to encourage you. You don't need to make promises. You need to just be good to your word. When you say that this is what you're going to do, you need to do it. And when things change and situations change, be honest about it and say, I wanted to do that. This is what happened and this is how I'm going to make it better and and communicate, be be in talks with each other. God has demonstrated this to us. Numbers 23 and 19 sums it up really good. It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not a human. He does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? God is always faithful to his word. And this extends into the life of the church that when he says that I'm going to empower you to make a difference in your city, in the nation, to the ends of the world, that he says he's going to work through his church, he's good to his word on it. And he's still making that happen today. And we need to model that same holiness and integrity of being good to our word to those around us. And if you're asking, how can I rebuild trust? Because we understand in relationships, it takes one small moment to destroy trust takes decades to build it back up. So we need to make a decision that we're going to be good to our word at the very beginning. The second thing is that we want to give the benefit of the doubt. It would have been easy for Jesus to be on the water and be like, no, Peter, this is not an activity for you. You will not make it all the way across. Go ahead, Peter, come across the water. Come on to me. When we look at someone else in our household, when we looked at someone else that God's placed in our life, we need to look at them through the, the lens and the eyes of faith and we need to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure that some of you guys have been on one end or the other of a thought like this before. You were supposed to be home at 5 p.m. and it is 5.03. And so the assumptions begin, oh, he must be out with that other woman. He has a whole nother wife, a whole nother life. He has multiple children in another house. It's probably a nicer house than the one that we live in. All the silverware that's missing from the silverware drawer is probably over there at that house. And it is 5.03 and you were supposed to be home at five o'clock. We don't operate that way. He comes through the house. Why are you three minutes late? I stopped to get you these flowers. Oh, I guess I'll unpack the bag that I packed for you. Welcome home, right? We, we don't want to just jump to negative conclusions, And in order to build trust, we have to extend appropriate trust as well. And so with the way that you look at other people, if you want to build trust with them, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. You have to look at them and not look at through through the eyes of the worst case scenario. The third thing is you need to have a willingness to serve and be served. You have to give and receive. Many people in here, I know your heart and you have such a great heart, you have a heart that also kind of mirrors the person of Martha in scripture who is always serving and always a little bit annoyed by those who are not serving. Always getting it done. And that's all fine. And it's what you want to do until an argument starts up and then you need to bring it up that, well, I'm the one who's always doing stuff around here. 
And it's because you never stop and let anyone else serve you. Because if, you, if they serve you, you're afraid that you might be in debt to them. And I want to encourage you that, that if you identify with that, part of God's design for you is to allow other people to use their gifts to serve you as well. That you need to give and receive. I mean, I, I fast forward in the, the biblical narrative of the life of Peter to when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples. And P, P, Peter is sitting there and his Lord and Savior is approaching his feet. And Peter, his mind is rightfully blown. Like, no, I can't let you take the job of the lowest servant and wash my feet. I won't let you do it. And Jesus says, you have to let me serve you. If I don't do this, you have no part with me. It's mind-blowing to think that scripture describes that there will be treasures stored up in heaven for those of us who live a life for for God, that God is actually going to award. He's going to make a big deal out of the things that you've done for the kingdom of God. It doesn't seem right because it seems like just, it it should just all be about God and and it is, but God returns that blessing. God loves to bless you. God loves to bless his people while you're blessing him. And if Jesus himself was one who served, if Jesus himself served others, you also need to let people serve you as you serve them. And if you want to build respect, if you want to build trust with the people in your life, you need to have a willingness to serve them and allow them to serve you. It will go both ways. And Last week was a fun week because the application was just immediate. Like open up lines of communication, find a way to start having dialogue with each other. This one, this week, it's not a a quick fix, but it's a recognition that in order to move trust with each other up, it's something that takes time. And I want to share a video with you guys um, from uh, a person at one of my friend's churches uh, that, that they shared. And it just, it's such a beautiful picture of the way that trust is supposed to grow. Will we go ahead and play that? I was a daddy's girl my whole life. I couldn't do anything wrong. I always went to my dad because I, I knew I could get away with anything. When I wanted something, I went to my dad to ask for it because I knew I would get it. All right, guys, have a good day at school. My world revolved around my father. I adored him in every aspect of life. My brother and I had found him, passed away in his sleep. It was devastating. I felt like I lost my best friend. My whole world kind of had fallen apart. I didn't really want to face reality. We had to figure out how to do life all over again without him. My mom had to go back to work full time. You know, she was sort of on autopilot of figuring out how to just do life. So I know of maybe like one or two dates that she had gone on. And if I got an odd suspicious phone call, I used to hang up on people and I was a, I was a brat. It wasn't until my senior year of high school that I was introduced to Glenn And honestly, I never gave him a shot. I just felt like she was trying to erase the whole past and and fill in with another gentleman and and pretend that, you know, my dad never existed, which just made me upset inside. And I, I hated it. 
in that time period, they didn't have Match.com and all that sort of thing. They had uh, basically you phoned in and you set up an account and you put a message on it and told about yourself and what you're looking for and just wasn't hitting it off. And then I got a message from Katie's mother, Donna. So we had a, a conversation on the phone that lasted probably six hours. My mom told me that they had met through post-prom, which was a total lie. They met on a phone line dating service, and I don't know if she was just trying to protect me or I didn't know him from Adam. I didn't trust him whatsoever, but it wasn't him, it was anybody. I was still processing the death of my father and what it was like to not have that father figure in my life. Knowing that, you know, Katie and Mike's uh, father had passed away um, at a fairly early age for them. Um, my dad died when I was six years old. My mom remarried two years later. I, you know, I kind of understood what they were going to go through because I went through it. Um, my, I only knew my dad for six years and my stepdad uh, came into the picture two years later. Really, he's who I modeled myself after the night that I proposed, we had a conversation at that dinner and, and I said, I asked her, I said, how do you think Katie's gonna take this? Uh, I wasn't gonna take it very lightly. I cried all night long. That's how I felt at the time. I felt like I was betrayed. I felt like my mom, you know, completely erased the history of my father, and she was just kind of moving on with life where I was still as a teenager dwelling in this difficulty of living life without my dad. I knew I couldn't change it, it was what it was, and I just had to accept it for, for that. It was him showing up at every dance recital, all my lacrosse games, him, picking me up almost every weekend from college. And I started to see a change in my relationship with him, my attitude towards their relationship. He never acted like he was replacing my dad. He never demanded anything of me. He just was always there knowing I can count on him for anything. Growing up, having a stepfather that, that basically was playing the role that I'm playing now, you know, I got to see how he did things, and I just need to be there. And if I'm there, I think that that's, that's gonna speak volumes in the end. From where we started to, to today, I, I, look at, I look at her like she's my daughter. It was a love-hate relationship because I, as harsh as the word hate is, as a teenager, I hated him but I hated him for the, not the person he was, but just the situation we were in. And, you know, it, there was no magic formula, but it was slowly over time, moment by moment, gathering by gathering, laughter. And, you know, each one of those built up to where we are today that, man, I, I value and I appreciate him um, more than probably words could truly express. It's an unimaginable 
situation, but it's a great description of the way that trust grows. You can't walk in and demand it, but with every step, every time he showed up, every time he was present, every time that he listened, every time that he loved, he, he helped her know. And then the more that she knew, the more that the trust would grow. And so the relationship that's close to your heart, you're saying, I, I, want, to, I want to see things grow. I want to earn trust. This isn't a, a quick fix. This is, this is the long game. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to be true to a character that honors God. I'm going to live with integrity. I'm going to show them that I'm here to stay. And I'm not going to ask them to raise that, that trust level higher than it should go until they know who I am. And the example that we have in our Heavenly Father and the example that we have in Scripture, it, it puts a, a good punctuation mark on the type of love that we are told to carry. From Psalm 13, verse 5, it says, But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Now, you're allowed to talk here. Um, what kind of love was it? I, and I, you always have to hear everyone else do it once to know that you won't be the first one. What kind of love was it? All right. Psalm 21, 7 says, For the king trusts in the Lord. The unfailing love of the Most High will keep him from stumbling. What kind of love will keep you from stumbling? Thank you. Psalm 32, verse 10. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. What kind of love will surround those who trust the Lord? Psalm 52, verse 8 says, But I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. What kind of love are you asked to trust? Failing. Psalm 143, verse 8 says, Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning. For I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. What kind of love do you need to think about as the morning begins? Unfailing. When it comes to trusting your heavenly Father, the type of love that he has demonstrated is unfailing. And if you've known in your head that you can trust him, but you've never actually taken a step with your heart to live out your faith, or maybe as you stand here today, you say, I need to begin my faith. I need, I need to get things started. I need to trust God for the first time. I want you to know that God doesn't look at you and say, why didn't you do better? Why didn't you do this before? He just says, I am so thankful to have my child home again. I am so thankful to pull you back up to your feet. And I know that because his love is unfailing. His love for you is unfailing. So if you need to get things right with him today, he's ready. He's always been ready. He's been waiting on you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that your love for us is unfailing. That you always fulfill your promises. That even in our pain, in the times where we feel like everything is falling apart, you will take that situation and you can restore it. You can redeem it. You can take something where we feel defeated and you can move it towards victory. And so we will walk in trust and faith because we know you are good. So Father, in our hearts today, once again, we say that we love you. 
We say that we're ready to listen and we're ready to walk in faith. So speak to us and guide us in the way that's ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.